that'll be very good. So if you want to bring your kids out, that'll be uh, from 5.30, uh, today at uh, 4.30, uh, but uh, it'll be 5.30 to 7 from uh, here on. Also, uh, shower today, Evan and Emily. Uh, that'll be today at 2 o'clock in the fellowship hall. This is their, uh, for their wedding shower. You can see uh, other announcements about showers in there. Also, uh, a reminder just about online giving. We've got that. I know it's been mentioned the last three weeks. Uh, you can see some information in your bulletin about that. Also, uh, we're having a big annex work day. The, the property that we have uh, just to the east of us over here, we're going to try to finish that up this Saturday. So all hands on deck, if you can be out, uh, we'll start at uh, probably 6.30 and work until uh, we finish. And also lunch will be provided uh, next Saturday. Also, uh, Miss Peggy's having a book signing. We have put that off uh, or postponed that, and that'll be this coming sun uh, next Sunday, September 15th at 2 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. And also, our light, uh, ladies' Bible study will resume uh, this Tuesday night. And uh, Brother Nathan has, uh, is going to tell you more, but we'll have uh, be here tonight at 6 o'clock for a discussion about uh, two services, early and late service. So uh, he'll have more information about that. Good morning, Brother Drew. We're going to start off the way we love to start off with, and that's with a baptism. So you uh, worship, because this is an expression of worship, first expression of worship. I'm going to show and demonstrate to everybody that I'm a follower of Jesus. You observe. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Mrs. Catherine, will you going to come on down? And she goes to Holbrook East Elementary, and she's so, and she's just the sweetest girl, and her family's so sweet. And we're just so excited um, that she's made a profession of faith, and that she comes today um, seeking baptism. So, Catherine, have you accepted Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Well, then I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. awesome, isn't it? Isn't that a great way to start a service? It is a great way. Well, one of the great things about going to Alaska, at least for our group, is you come back with a cold, right? We just brought some cold back with us, so I apologize. Jill's got a little of it. I got a little of it. Tony's got a little. We just, uh, we brought back some cold, so bear with me this morning. I'm a little more off than normal, you know. Y'all bear with me. You got to help carry the load today, okay? All right, let's stand together. Let's sing Hosanna.
weeks ago we started learning a new song and as I told you then this song it speaks of how that God doesn't always remove the trials and troubles of this world sometimes many times he simply walks with us through them so uh, you sing along with our little choir
Somebody testify to that today? Been through it? God's been faithful, hasn't he?
you have your Bibles, you can open to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. You know, Jimmy, Tony, we feel really sorry for you and your colds you brought back from Alaska. <laughs> All I could think about when he was talking about that was uh, when, I, when I played high school football, I was not a very good receiver. I couldn't catch the ball. And one of my high school football coaches' favorite lines, he'd say, Rogers, you couldn't catch a cold buck naked in Alaska. <laughs> and so. <laughs> but I know who can. Oh, okay, all right, all right. Yeah. All right. I, yeah. Oh, me. If you can't laugh, what can you do? Amen. Catherine, we're proud of you. It was an awesome step today. And, uh, man, there's just there's nothing more beautiful than uh, a believer uh, going public, declaring their, uh, their faith through baptism. And what a great example we got to see with Catherine today. And we've got, gosh, we've got uh, several more. I know of about seven or eight people that we're going to be baptizing over the next few weeks. And that is exciting exciting stuff. So we are continuing our study on Joseph. We're going to be in this thing for four more weeks. Uh, last week we talked about the coat of many colors and uh, how Joseph, um, he was his dad's favorite. He kind of got some special privileges. Uh, as a matter of fact, J.D. wore his socks of many colors today. If you get a chance after service, be, be sure to check out J.D.'s socks. Um, but he, he um, as a result of that, his brothers, they plotted to kill him. And they ended up throwing him in a pit. And that is where we left off last week uh, as we study through the life of Joseph. And if you remember, we had a big idea. And some of you have already filled that out because you remember it from last week and you're going to see it for four more weeks. But let's review, if you didn't catch this last week, our whole big idea through this whole five-part series is God, let's say it together, God loves me. He is always with me and he has greater plans for me. That is true, no matter where we are in life. I love uh, what Brother Jimmy explained to us during our worship service and what we declared in song is that sometimes God doesn't necessarily deliver us from the fire, but he walks with us through it. He's always with me, he loves me, and he has greater plans for me. And so as we pick up in Joseph's story today, it's important that we keep that in mind. And here's a hard truth. We all have problems. We all have problems. Now, you may have come to church today, and you may think you're the only one here whose life is just jacked up. But it's not true. As a matter of fact, I want you to turn and look at somebody beside you. That dude or that girl beside you is messed up. Just me their life is a mess. They are wretched and sinful just like you. They have struggles and they have problems. And the fact is we all have problems. Everybody here today, we can put on our Sunday best, we can talk it, we can walk it, but at the end of the day, we exist in brokenness. We are all broken people. And the quicker that we admit that we are all just beggars gathered together looking for the bread that gives life, 
the quicker we'll understand the need that we have for the Savior, for the gospel, for the love of God. We all have problems. And as we, as we dive into the sermon today, it's important that we admit that in our culture, especially in good old southern Christian Bible Belt culture, we don't really come to church and talk about our problems. We don't show up at church and go, bro, I am broken. What about you? I messed up. We walk in the door and the greeters say, hey, good morning. How are you doing today? It's just a mess. Me too. We don't. We typically come in and we put on our smile and say, man, everything's great. What about you, brother? Living my best life, walking the walk. Too blessed to be stressed. Because if we're not careful, our default mode in our church culture is that church becomes a place for pretty people with no problems. May we never become a church that is for pretty people with no problems. Because we all got problems and, well, we ain't that pretty. Let us never become that. This place where we think we have to put on a mask, put on a beautiful face, Put on a beautiful image and not be real and gen- and just uh, real and genuine with who we are, the struggles that we deal with, and everything that goes on in our lives. When we left here last week, our boy Joseph was in a pit, a pit that his brothers had thrown him into. And his brothers decide, as we're going to learn today, as he's in that pit where they dropped him in. Remember, they're going to throw him in the pit, let him just die in that pit, and go back and tell Dad that he got eaten by animals. But his brother decide, hey, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. In other words, they realize that if they just kill him, their problem goes away. But if they sell him, their problems will go away and they'll have a little scratch in their pocket. So these Ishmaelite traders come along, and they see these guys, that these are are wheelers and dealers, and they see them coming down the road, and so they throw a rope in the pit. Now you can imagine Joseph, as this rope drops into him, he's like, oh, they were just kidding. Nope. They drag him up out of that pit, and he's like, oh, you guys, you guys, I thought you got, and then they sell him. They sell him to these Ishmaelite traders who shackle him, they chain him up, And they drag him to Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, they sell him as a slave to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar becomes a key person in this story. Because Potiphar is not a nobody. Potiphar is the highest ranking military officer in Egypt. He is Pharaoh's top gun. He is over all the armies of Egypt. Now, To be over all of the armies of Egypt in this point of history, it means that Potiphar was the leader over the most powerful army in the world in the most powerful nation in the world. That's who Egypt was at this point in history. And that's who Joseph ends up with. That's who he gets sold to. That's who he is enslaved by. So as we begin the story today, I want us to pick up in Genesis 39, and I want you to look with me at the first two verses. Look what it says. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased 
by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But verse 2 is really important because notice what it says. The Lord was with Joseph. He went from the pit to slavery in Potiphar's house. But guess what? God is always with me. He loves me. He is always with me. And he has greater plans for me. Even though he is in this place where he is enslaved, God did not abandon Joseph or the plan that he had for him. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Nobody in the midst of our problems wants to leave church today and go, you know, in the midst of this valley, I'm going to be the most successful, miserable person there is. I'm going to succeed in my misery greater than anyone has ever succeeded in their misery. Nobody says, hey, I want to be the slave of the year. But yet, this is where we find Joseph in this story. I mean, you think your job is bad. This was a bad situation. But here's the thing. Here's what's so beautiful about Joseph and about us. A sold-out follower of Jesus will say, this is my situation, and I'm going to make the most of it. Now, we're going we're gonna to unpack this idea a little more as we walk through this story. But a sold-out follower of Jesus is going to look at the place where they find themselves, even when it's hard, even when it's dark, even when it feels like slavery, even when it feels like we are captive, and we're going to say, you know what, this is my situation, this is where I am, I'm going to make the most of it. In other words, I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. Now, as Joseph begins serving in this house, I mean, this guy's absolutely knocking it out. If there was an award for slave of the year, Joseph wins it. I mean, this guy, is he's doing everything right. We read in verse 3 in chapter 39. Look at these words, verse 3. Potiphar noticed this. He noticed that the Lord was with Joseph and that he was succeeding in everything he did. Potiphar noticed this and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. In other words, not only was Joseph successful, but the world took notice. Potiphar saw how God was blessing Joseph, how everything Joseph touched just seemed to turn to gold, how Joseph was knocking it out in the midst of this situation. And then jump down to verse 5, and it says, From that day, Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property. The Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and his livestock flourished. Could you imagine what might happen if Christians and people of God all over the world took this attitude? Yeah, I don't like my situation. I don't like my job. I don't like my school. I don't like the place where I am. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. I'm going to take my situation, and I'm going to make the most of it for the glory of God. And what if, just what if, because of you and that attitude, God began to bless that place where you are. Wouldn't that be incredible? I mean, that's what happened with Joseph here. 
And, and, and God starts blessing and things start happening and good is going on. But here's the thing I want you to hear today. Because the story's about to take a dark turn. And let me just tell you something, okay? And this is important. Because just like we established at the beginning of the message, we all have problems, right? And I want you to know that just because you do everything right, just because you follow God's will, you do as God commanded, it doesn't mean that trouble won't come your way. Just because you do everything right, it doesn't mean that God is going to magically protect you from difficulty, from struggles, from hard times, from any of that. Because we see this right here. I mean, he did everything he was supposed to do. Here he is. He finds himself in this place, yet, yet he does everything right. And then the story takes this dark turn as we begin reading in verse 6 and 7. Look at verse 6. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Dot, dot, dot. And then there's this second part to this passage. Joseph was very handsome and a well-built young man. This is an epic compliment. Did you know in all of Scripture, there's only a few places where the Bible talks about people being handsome? You got Joseph. You got Saul. David. The best, com- I think the highest compliment is actually Absalom. Uh, if you read about Absalom, it says that from, hi- from the bottom of his heel to the top of his head, there, was no Im- there were no imperfections. That's what it says about Absalom. But now here's Joseph, right? And the Bible says that Joseph was handsome and well-built. Joseph, ladies, had it going on. There's this, uh, this kid that hangs out with my family a lot. He's got this beautiful mop of blonde hair, and he's well-built and handsome and red because he's embarrassed right now. And I'm telling you, we can't take this kid anywhere because he has to beat the girls off with a stick. I could tell you stories. Amen. I love you, Spencer. I do. I mean, this this guy, this is who Joseph was. And notice what happened. Now, by the way, these, these looks helped him at other places. But here, it wasn't so much of a help. Because notice what happens in verse 7. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Hmm. There's two theological issues I want to address here. Number one, I've heard people say, well, we don't know what Miss Potiphar really looked like. Let me just tell you right now that uh, she was the wife of the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And in that day and age, those guys, they kind of went and took what they wanted. Um, suffice it to say that this, this, this wasn't no homely gal, okay? But number two, people say, well, I'm not even sure that Joseph was really that tempted. Let me just, let me just tell you, Miss Potiphar was probably a pretty decent-looking gal herself, and Joseph was between 18 and 22, 
Sometimes you don't have to say anything else. Good. Sounds like we're all tracking here. This was real deal temptation. This is real deal temptation that Joseph was dealing with. I mean, this was real temptation. But notice what happens as we read on in the story starting in verse 9. He, he tells her, he says, no one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you. Because you're his wife. He says, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against Potiphar. No. He says it would be a great sin against God. Joseph knew what was important, and he knew where his priorities were. And he says, I got to step back. I got to hold back. I got to pull back. Because it would be a great sin against God. Verse 10. But she kept putting pressure on Joseph. Day after day. But he refused to sleep with her. And by the way, young men, listen. Not only did he refuse to sleep with her, but he kept out of her way as much as possible. You see, when temptation comes, you don't nuzzle up to it. You get the heck out of Dodge. You flee it. You run from it. You stay as far away from it as possible. You see, Joseph understood the situation, and not only, not only did he refuse her advances, but he did everything he could to make sure that their paths didn't cross, that he didn't bump into her, that he wasn't close to her, but it still got difficult. But here, here's what I want you to get today. and he, I want you to get this. I want you to not miss this. Maybe write this down. Keep this in your notes. Joseph refused to give up what he wanted most, what he could have in the moment. You see, Joseph was given a dream by God. That dream is what spun this whole thing into motion. But Joseph had been shown by God, as we talked about last week, that he would one day have this position of authority, that even his own brothers, his own mother, his own father would bow down to him, that he would be in this position of great prominence, right? God had given him this dream. God had given him this vision. And this was the path he believed God. He didn't understand the valley. He didn't understand the pit. He didn't understand the enslavement. He didn't understand what was going on, but he knew what God had for him. He had a dream, and Joseph was not going to give that up for what he could have in the moment. So many of us have dreams and plans and visions for our life that get smashed and crumbled because we choose what we can have in the moment at the expense of what we really desire long term. That's why we have to, and I, I, I've had so many conversations about this, we have to shift our thinking sometimes to consequence first thinking. Because when temptation comes, what we tend to do is we tend to start counting the pros before we count the cons, and then we just let the pros convince us, and then we just forget about the cons. When you are tempted, I challenge you to shift your thinking and count the consequences first. It's a simple practice. Just go, okay, what are the consequences that could happen if I make this decision? 
not, not the pros, the consequences. I'm going to start with the consequences. And watch how your thinking shifts. When you shift from, from the good feeling and the, the temporary joy or the temporary satisfaction or the temporary euphoria that comes from sin and temptation, and you start asking yourself, what are the long-term consequences? Am I willing to give up what I want most for what I can have right now in the moment? Joseph, he said no. But too many Christians, they forfeit the greatest blessings that God has for their lives because they choose what they can have in the moment. I've told this story before, but a lot of you have probably never heard it. But for me, this, this all goes back to a couple of months after me and Erica got married. Um, I was... Um, I was, I was in that stage of life where I was trying to figure out what I should do and where I should go. I'd worked in the aircraft industry. God was calling me to ministry. I was running different directions. I couldn't find satisfaction because I knew God had a purpose for my life. And I wasn't sure I was ready to jump into it. And I took this job with this company uh, that I should have never taken. And I worked the first week of this job, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And on Friday morning, uh, I had to get on an airplane and go to this, this like convention in Birmingham, Alabama. I was living in Little Rock, Arkansas at the time, Conway, Arkansas. So I got up that morning about 4 a.m. to make my flight, drove to the Little Rock airport, flew to Birmingham, Alabama with me and about a half a dozen guys that work for our company. And uh, all day long, we sit in this trade show, walking around the convention center, you know, 4.30 in the morning is when I got up. And I, I, not exaggerating, we were probably in this convention hall until 10, 10.30 at night. Exhausted, long day. We get back to the hotel room about 11 p.m., and I'm ready to retire. The guys come in there, and they said, hey, get dressed, look good. We're going to the gentleman's club. And I said, well, you guys might be going to the gentleman's club, but I'm not going to the gentleman's club. They said, no, man, we're going. We're going to the bar, man. We're going. You're coming with us. This is, this is bonding. This is, guy, this is company bonding. you got to go with us. And I said, I hear you guys, but I'm just telling you, I don't do that. Well, I started getting ridiculed and derided like I've never in my life. I was called some names that would make a sailor blush. And these guys started picking on me. And those of you that know the rest of the story knows what happened next. My boss went and got in the shower, and while he was in the shower, I reached up on the counter and took the keys to the rental car off the counter. And I stole the rental car, basically. I got in the rental car right there. I left a note that said I quit. And I drove back to Arkansas that night. I got into Little Rock. Well, don't. It's, listen, not that great because uh, you're not supposed to steal a rental car. <laughs> and uh, it's not in your name. And when I got back to Little Rock, I didn't know what to do with it. So I dug through the, the what, what do you call it, the glove box, and I found that it was like Avis, so I took it back to Avis. The car had been reported stolen. They called the police. Um, anyway, make a long story short, when it was all said and done, the money I made at that job that week, that plus a few hundred bucks in fines is what it cost me to work for that company that week. Uh, after I paid all my fines, it took all my paycheck and then some because uh, I had to pay the fines and I had to pay the fee for not returning the rental car and putting all the extra miles on it and all that stuff. <laughs> the point is, sometimes you just got to run. Sometimes you just got to run. And uh, I don't say that to pump me up. I say that to be an example to you. I'm telling you, it's worth it. It's worth it to flee. It's worth it to get away. You got to know your biggest temptation. For me, 
If I'd have been sitting at a gas station and somebody walked up to me and said, hey, Nathan, do you want some crack? No. <laughs> crack is whack. <laughs> you know, I don't want no crack. But that was a temptation, that gentleman's club, that I had to flee from. I was about 21 years old, and I had to flee from that. And you've got to know your temptations. There's two steps, and they're simple. Two simple steps to overcoming your temptations. It's really simple. We're going to wrap up with this, and I'm going to ask our musicians to, to begin coming forward because we're going to have an invitation in a minute. It's two things. Number one, admit it. Admit it. Now, when I say admit it, number one, you got to admit it to yourself. There's a lot of people that you keep tripping up and falling into the same temptations because you haven't even looked in the mirror and admitted to yourself that that's a problem, that that's a temptation, that that's a sin that you are struggling to overcome. The first thing you need to do is you just need to admit it. You just need to look at yourself in the mirror and go, hey, sister, hey, brother, you got a problem. And the second thing you can do after you admit it to yourself is to tell somebody. Say, man, that's tough. I know. But the Bible says confess, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. I'm telling you, there is such beauty and accountability. And when you have somebody in your life that you have a good enough bond with that you can go to that brother and you can just tell him, this is what's up. I'm so grateful for the people in my life that hold me accountable. I got this group of preachers. We call ourselves the riffraff because, well, we're those kind of preachers. And I'm so grateful for those guys. We're all pastors, but we're so just open and honest and genuine with each other. And the accountability that those four guys bring to my life is invaluable. I will ever thank God for those guys. And I get to be accountable to them and their struggles and the things they're going through. Listen, through Jesus Christ, you have victory already over sin and temptation. In and of yourself, there is no victory, but through Jesus, you have it. And, and, and here's the thing. Satan has no weapon. Did you know that? That guy don't have any weapons. There's nothing. There is, there is no weapon formed against you that will have success because of the victory we have in Jesus. So how does Satan get us? What are these fiery darts that he shoots our way? It's the weapons you put in his hands. Did you know that? We hand him the weapons. We hand it to him. And when we are unwilling to face our temptations, to deal with our issues, to flee from the things that bring so much damage to our life, we hand him the tools to destroy us. But when we stand victorious in Christ, there's no weapon that can formed against us that can prosper. You say, yeah, but I got sin. Yeah, but God forgives it. Yeah, but I have struggles. But Jesus is faithful. And I can define myself 
by those temptations. I can define myself by those things that enslave me. Or I can, as we sung earlier, I can be who he says I am. I'm forgiven, not forsaken. I am who he says I am. And that's the answer. So that's the message today. I'm going to let God speak to you. If he's convicting you, if he's revealing something to you, you listen and you respond. Let's stand.